It may be already very apparent from the title of this podcast, but if it's not, I would like to let you know that there are some adult themes discussed, so viewer discretion is advised. Enjoy. Welcome to the Millennial Pastor Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the intersection between faith and culture. I'm your host, Josiah, and I have a special co-host friend on the podcast for the first time in like, I don't even know how long. Brian, how long has it been? It's been a long time, but I'm back. You couldn't get away from me for too long. I think that's, I think we got to go back to traditions and you can apologize for that, maybe. I'm sorry that life happened. Yeah. And I moved twice since I've been on the podcast, I think. Oh, my Josiah gosh. moved once and or twice since I've been on the podcast. Um, and yeah, we've just had a lot going on. Um, I'm in Ohio now, which is different than where I was. Um, we moved this summer to Ohio. And yeah, I think that's about it. I'm sorry. Some people didn't believe you were like, okay. Some people are like, is he sick? Did he get the Rona? What's going on? I did not get the Rona. I'm a fully vaccinated individual, and I've had no positive tests with the Rona at all. Hashtag blessed. I wish I could say the same. I mean, not about, I'm, yeah, we got the vax and stuff too, but positive tests are, yeah, I have too many children for that nonsense. Moving, moving right along. Sorry about not being on here together. Maybe some of you are actually happy because we of our ridiculous and annoying banter, which is the perfect segue to the fact that we have a wonderful, amazing guest, Tiffany. Tiffany, how are you doing? I am fabulous. How are you? Doing great. I, I'm I'm sequestered bad. in a garage away from children to record this podcast. Um, I'm in Washington, Barnes in Ohio. Where are you at, Tiffany? I am in Litchfield Park, Arizona. Arizona. Keep having these Arizona guests. It's like we have roots there, Byron. Yeah. It's, it's like some of our guests are sometimes friends of friends who tell us, hey, they should be on your podcast. Sometimes. <laughs> Not always. Something like that. Well, we want to get to know Tiffany today. Uh, there's a couple things in particular. I don't know. Depending on what I end up calling this episode, might already have some spoilers. But Tiffany's life, once I heard about a little bit of who she was, I said, yes, please. We need to talk to her about her life. This sounds amazing. Um, so uh, real quickly, Tiffany, this will probably come up in more, more in depth. But at one point, you were pastoring in the Arizona district, right? Yes, that's correct. I had a district license here in Arizona. How long were you doing that? I had my district license for three, three years, three and a half years. And you didn't start the pursuit of pastoring in a very conventional sense. I think that's safe to say, right? That's a safe way to say what <laughs> happened in my life. <laughs> All right, we're, we're going to get to it. I want to have some fun, though, because it turns out I'm not going to ask you to say your age on on the internets for the world to hear. Um, but we know you're slightly older than a millennial. You might be one of them 
Gen Xers and Byron, our interns got us this, right? I mean, we have interns. Yes, our, our real interns <laughs> that exist, those ones. They, they taught us some stereotypical things that we need to run by you um, as the obvious representative, all-inclusive representative of your generation. So since you're probably a very typical, stereotypical, in fact, Gen Xer, we have been informed that you were raised by MTV. Is that true? Did oh, your that's parents true. That's that's way true. So uh, apparently, the, according to <laughs> where we got this from, is probably the best thing ever. But according to marketing, your mascot, your like social pop culture mascot, is this character called Daria. Is that true? Who? I, okay, <laughs> since you don't even know it, then that's that's totally the, wrong. Daria is a character that got her own spinoff show from Beavis and Butthead. It was on okay. MTV. MTV. It, MTV had this cartoon. The fact that I know this means I don't think See, the thing is, is I used to watch Daria because it was on when I was like in high school. So I don't understand why that would be a Gen X thing. That'd be more millennial, in my opinion, but whatever. Well, whatever. I was raised on MTV when it was like videos. Was That's actually, how old I am. When it was before actually the transitions. <laughs> so it used to be videos, then it kind of started to go into weird shows. And so we're like in the in between. And now I think. It's all reality shows about pregnant girls or something. <laughs> Sounds right. And like, uh, I don't know, some kind of like rappers dating or something. I don't. I don't watch the TV. I haven't watched it in years. But well, you you make your well. I guess they wouldn't be your parents. Boomers would be like you could potentially have older. So I don't know how this works. But another stereotype. Um, since boomers do everything right, apparently you do everything <laughs> wrong. Is that is that a fair assumption? I mean, if you, it depends on who you ask. I think we're, I think the consummate like judges of all things for our podcast when we do these stereotypical things are probably <laughs> boomers, right? I mean, is that safe to say, Byron? Like, who are we, who are we like raging against with our stereotypical nonsense? I think for us, it's, our, it's boomers because that's our parents. Our sure. parents are boomers. So it's, you know, it's the, gen, the, the next generation raging against the parents. So most of us have parents who are boomers. So that makes sense. So do Gen Xers like millennials or are they just kind of like, yo, millennials and boomers duke it out. And I'll just stay out the way. I love millennials. I think they're great. I don't know what other people think, but I love them. Huh. Well, then you're not doing everything wrong. AARP, what a joke. Oh, yeah. We, yeah, we got this from AARP. <laughs> Although, yeah. to be fair, we're looking at a list of things that they say that in the article they debunk. So it's not like... They don't really believe these, but it's fun that it's an AARP article. Yeah. This is the stereotypes marketers play into based on your generation. The last one being, uh, I guess, Gen Xers like invented sarcasm. They're the most sarcastic generation. Oh, I would have to agree with that, except that now we have kids and I think my kids are 10 times as sarcastic. <laughs> is that a learned behavior or is it just because of our culture because i mean great question friends they had uh what chandler was like super sarcastic and like we're pretty sarcastic too but i know some pretty some very sarcastic gen xers but i bet your kids generation is gonna be real sarcastic oh i'm sure they're raised by that is friends like the gen x show is that the show that defined the generation see that was a 90s show too so like that ended when we were in high school so i, I don't 
I don't know. It's it's hard questions, and I don't think I'm a typical one, so I don't know. Like Friends know. and Seinfeld were like the two big shows of that era of the '90s. Yeah, and and I The mean, Simpsons. The start... What about The Simpsons? That might, even though it's still the running, Simpsons. The Simpsons was we were really young, like we were infants when this Simpsons started, Josiah. So that's crazy. Like that might be a, a Gen X show that they all watched. The Simpsons was going on in the I... '80s. Yeah, it's been on for ever. Forever. For as long as I can remember, The Simpsons have been on. Well, this is the real gauge, right? We've been playing around with, like, millennial evangelical upbringing. So this will lead us into sort of who you are, Tiffany. This is, this is the segue with stereotypes. Do you remember VeggieTales coming out? I do not. I had, to, I had to Google search this on another podcast. I mean, we had an intern look it up, right? And... Uh, and it was nineteen. It was nineteen ninety three that the first Veggie Tale hit the scene. So I was doing math. Me and Byron would have been five or six, depending on like what. Oh my month gosh! <laughs> you w- would you have been uh, already an adult at that period of time? Sure, I graduated <laughs> high school in ninety four. So. <laughs> well, sorry to out you like that, but but let's talk more about that. I mean, we we've played. And again, we've played particularly with millennial evangelical upbringing, but would you say you had uh, a, did you have an evangelical upbringing at all, or was it no church involvement growing up? So I grew up attending a Catholic school and going to Catholic mass every week uh, with my grandma and my parents. Where was this at? Was this in Arizona or was it some Illinois. I grew up in uh, Springfield, Illinois. So you got to go to Catholic school or Catholic mass. Did you go to Catholic school too? Yes, unfortunately so. So Catholicism, I've heard. I was, a, a, re- I was a recovering Catholic for like 30 something years for sure. Not a, not a voluntary thing. You were, there was not much choice in the matter. You just went to school and went to church and that was it. That's it. You just did what you were supposed to do. No question is asked. So I guess, I mean, is there a stereotypical Catholic upbringing then? I mean, we should probably look into what that looks like. Yeah, I'm sure. It's very shame-based, I'm sure. What kind of guilt do you have from that? (laughs) Guilt. Oh, yes. Catholic guilt is real, man. Catholic guilt. So All the bloody crucifixes hanging up all over the place? (laughs) That's a whole other podcast. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, I don't know that I'm equipped to, to even navigate those waters. We'll have to befriend some catholics so you grew up going to catholic school catholic mass uh did you graduate from catholic school no my parents pulled me out of catholic school and i went to a public high school and so you finished in in the regular high school world yes why did they pull you out of catholic school that's a great question i really don't remember i have no idea is it bad that I was kind of hoping you were expelled? Because I think it's a better story. <laughs> I'm sure that would have happened if I went to a Catholic high school for sure. But you survived the school age years, graduated, and started on as an adult after high school. Maybe yeah. with maybe with some uh, what cool did you did you stop going to Catholic church in high school as well, or were you still required to do that? 
Uh, I went to Catholic mass um, every so often with my grandma, just because it's what she liked to do. So I would go to be with her. Um, but she passed away my just after senior year of high school. Um, so that was when I stopped going to church at all for any reason. And and going to the Catholic mass, I mean, was it was it a simple I'm going through the motions thing or was there was there a faith attached to that? How would you explain that? I, ooh, that's a good question. Um, it was very much going through the motions and doing everything that you were expected to do and doing it right. Um, there wasn't any sort of relational component. I think that's the biggest difference for me uh, was the relational component. I believed that there was a God, but he was like in this box where I would just pray if somebody was dying, if somebody was sick, if I thought I needed a miracle in my life, like that's all I knew about God. Was it, was it like the, you go to confessional once a week, you do your Hail Marys, your, our fathers, all the prescripted stuff that you went through all that stuff as well. Oh yes. Oh yes. I think that was probably my biggest struggle with Catholicism. And I don't mean to bash it because it's probably, you know, changed now. But for me, my experience was traumatic. Um, and that going, so you would go to confession. It was the biggest thing that I took away from Catholicism was uh, that you could sin and do whatever during the week, as long as you went on Sunday. And I'll use my father's famous quote, uh, fumbled beads on Sunday so you can do whatever you want during the week. Uh, so basically... <laughs> All right. So basically you'd go on Sunday and you'd be assigned, you know, say 10 Hail Marys and five Our Fathers, do the rosary once and you'll be all forgiven and then you can go to heaven again. Wow. Can you imagine what we would have been like as high schoolers, Byron, if that was what our parents told us? Yeah, that would have been interesting. My Especially from, based on the way we were raised. It'd be very different. Such a different approach to bringing bringing us up. Oh my goodness! So would you? So you said your grandmother was Catholic, and did, was she like very religious? Like was she very into it, or she okay. was? Yes, uh, and she was my mother's mother, so she was. But my parents did not go down that path. They okay. were, had so, a very um, alternate at home from church. Okay. As I say, because if your grandmother was religious, but your parents weren't really, that that kind of makes sense that your dad didn't seem to take it very serious. Because the way he put it makes me think, what's the point if you can do whatever you want? I mean, it sounds like he's critiquing the hypocrisy of the church as we know it now, too. Not just Catholic Church, but in general. How are we perceived versus what do we actually do? So He was deconstructing before it was trendy and cool. So at that point in my upbringing, I, I was pondering this whole, I think I'm supposed to be a pastor. What do I do with that? Uh, was that was that even close to where you were at post high school entering into adulthood, Tiffany? Oh, heck no. <laughs> I, mean, well, I know. I know sort of what may have happened, but, but what were you going to say, Martin? You, well, the thing is, if you grew up Catholic and you're a, a woman, you can't get well, into Catholic can. ministry anyway. Not yes. really. You can't be a you can't be a priest anyway. You could do other things. You can be a nun, but like, so, it must be kind of interesting to never see someone like you up front actually doing a homily, leading mass. I never even thought about that until right now. Like, 
there's not someone on stage that you could really compare your life to very easily. My guess is most of your priests were probably old white men. Yep. And joining a convent wasn't on your agenda of things to do. <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> oh my goodness. You may, I mean, you, it might be argued that you kind of almost took the exact opposite course. Oh, I ran far away as fast as I could, as hard as I could, yes. <laughs> so, I mean, like metaphorically, you run away. Did you actually run away? Did you leave home? Did you go off on your own and start just doing your own thing pretty quickly after high school? No. Uh, right after high school, I went into nursing school. And uh, then I became a single mom, and my whole life changed again. Then I moved out. So I was like 19, a nurse and a single mom. You had a degree, like a, a associate's degree in nursing? I graduated two days before I had my son, yeah. Wow. Single mom, did you already have a job lined up and everything? Or was it basically like, wow, starting with square one? Yeah, so I was working as a nursing assistant uh, during my pregnancy in school already. So they were ready to hire me as a nurse when I graduated. How long did you do that before what the title of this podcast might already have spoiled for people? <laughs> like, how long were you were you doing this nursing thing, uh, being a single mom before you chose a different career path? Uh, maybe a year or so when I learned that I could uh, make as much money in a weekend as I did in a week. <laughs> uh, so, okay, cat's going to be out of the bag, right? Uh, at some point, you realize stripping would earn you a lot of money. And if you didn't notice in the title, I'll probably have to pre-record a thing. This might have adult themes in this podcast today, ladies and gentlemen that are listening. <laughs> you learned that you can make significantly more money doing that. And I, I'm just curious. The, the thing that I immediately think is, how do you just casually learn that one day? Like, was it like a friend? Did you, were you talking to somebody? I mean, I don't know if you're like Googling it. How does that come about? And how does that thought even enter your mind? Well, first of all, we didn't have Google back then. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even, that doesn't even register in my mind that that's a possibility. So, but thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. <laughs> Did you Yahoo it or AOL? <laughs> yeah, there had to have been some sort of alternative. Right? Oh, yeah, AOL, AOL, AOL chat rooms were coming around about then. <laughs> oh my goodness. So I, I'm assuming another oh. human told you about this. I mean, it's not like maybe it was in the paper and the classifieds or something. Well, so for me to properly answer that question, I had to give you a tiny bit more of my history. Yes, let's do it. Perfect. So, uh, yeah, starting at age five, my cousin began molesting me. Ooh. And so looking back obviously i don't realize this is the time this is post-processing uh looking back you realize that you can use your body for so many things in life right it doesn't really belong to you you don't have ownership of it um and it is exists for the pleasure of other people and so i became very promiscuous uh yeah we'll skip some of those stories um basically most kids grow up with this idea of what they want to be when they grow up, right? And it's usually something wholesome, a doctor, a nurse, a lawyer, uh, whatever. I wanted to be a porn star. 
I wanted to be in Playboy magazines um, because I saw these women as having control of their bodies. They were able to regulate. They were able to get what they wanted um, using their bodies. Uh, so that's really at the core where I learned that stripping could make money, right? Um, I learned throughout high school that various um, activities would get you drugs or alcohol or cigarettes or free food at McDonald's. Um, my body was never really mine. Uh, and so I used it more as a commodity than anything else. Uh, so for me, naturally, the next stage is when going to a strip club, hanging out with my friends. Oh, hey, they have an amateur night. Let's check it out. So I win amateur night, go back for a state competition. They offer me a job. And I'm like, well, yeah, this is a lot of money. Great. Put me down. I'll be here every weekend. And this is you went to this amateur night after already having landed a nursing gig, right? Yes, I was already working as a nurse for $7.50 an hour. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, what year is that? Uh, is that rude uh, to ask? No, 96. Huh, man, that's crazy. So you named, a couple, you named a couple pretty, pretty significant things. Obviously, like being molested and having that happen to you at such a young age. Sounds like it, that was pretty, pretty much a formative sort of setting your perspective for not only just like body image, but, but career path. I mean, I, it's probably not an easy question or answer to give, but should that not have happened? Would this have been on your radar at all, you think, or what? Probably not at all. I probably would have been a normal kid doing normal kid things. And I don't know. It's not that I'm grateful that it happened, but I think God uses all of our pain for a better purpose, right? Sure. That's, that's just, that's pretty intense. So you eventually get put on a schedule, it sounds like, and did, did you immediately quit nursing? Did you keep nursing? What did that transition look like? I kept nursing um, because most people in my life didn't know that I was doing this on the weekends. Your circles uh, didn't learned... overlap? <laughs> well, you know, I had learned from my parents a great skill of having a dual life, right? of presenting one way to everyone in the family and doing other things on the weekend. So it was just a weekend gig. Yeah. What kind of a nurse were you? I was in psych. So it was like a nine to five Monday through Friday thing. I, I worked like three to 11 or 11 to seven, depending on what shift it was usually evenings or overnights. So if I asked my sister to watch my kid for another night, it was not anything like out of the norm. So did your sister know that you had a second job? Uh, she knew about the amateur competitions, but she didn't know anything after that. Would that have been an issue? Would she not have watched your kid? No, I think she still would have. She would have given me some junk for it, but I think she still would have. So you're you're kind of moonlighting and making what, how much more like twice as much three to four times as much on the weekends. <clears throat> Absolutely. I'd make my whole paycheck in a weekend. That's just crazy. <laughs> so how long did that, 
how long did that go on? Because it just sounds exhausting, much less like all of the additional things that could potentially be affecting your mental state and all that jazz <laughs> that go into the mix with that. How long, how long did you nurse, nurse strip? Well, so I did it for a while and then I took a break and then I went back thinking that I would try it again. Uh, and funny enough, I meet this guy one night and he gives me his card. We set up an interview for a uh, photo shoot, which was probably about to be a really terrible decision in my life. And as God would have it, even when I didn't believe in him, uh, he aligned me with this guy who wanted to take me out for a date at the same time, the same day. And so I chose to go out with him. And this weekend, we celebrate our 19th anniversary. So, Wow. How did I you just meet? kind of dropped him right in my lap at the right time. <laughs> How did you meet him? At a bar, drunk and dancing. And at some point, you chose to be with him. Was that a choice that also mm -hmm. came with some, hey, uh, I, I'm going to change some things in my life? Like, what did that transition away look like? Yeah, so I was done stripping. I didn't do that again. Um, I picked up a second nursing job because I still needed more money. Um, but yeah, so all my time went into dating him instead. How old are you at this point? 24, maybe? I'm 20. terrible with the ages. I don't well, know. That gives me a rough, rough date to go. So I'm just let me piece this back together. I, I may miss something. Byron, you can help. You had, for all intents and purposes, for all appearances, uh, maybe a normal childhood upbringing minus, like, obviously some substantial terribleness that, that did a lot of damage. But going to Catholic church, going to Catholic school, maybe look like a normal teenager. Obviously, things are happening. Become a single mom at what age? 19? 19. And then start making money as a nurse but also on the weekends stripping and then eventually meet a guy at about 24. Yeah. So this was I'm pretty this, sure that was how old it went on for a couple years. Did you, mm -hmm. so almost immediately, as soon as you met him, no more stripping, just nursing, starting to date this guy, starting to figure out what life looks like. Yeah, pretty much. So, did he know that you were stripping before that? And he, did he like not approve of it? Or like, what was it? Cause it, or did you decide that this is a better. He, he was a 24 year old guy. He thought it was hot. Like when <laughs> 24. That's kind of what I was curious yeah. about. Cause you said you met him and you started dating him and stopped stripping immediately. So I was curious what the, why did you stop? I guess. What about this interaction made you stop? our talks and that who's interested in more than just my body. Hmm. That, that sounds like it was kind of a big revelation for you, huh? Absolutely. Absolutely. That the fact that you guys actually had conversations and like engaged each other's intellects. Right. I was not used to that. I'd never had that before. So how long before things became real serious and then you guys get married because you've been together you said you've been together 19 years yeah we got married in 02 we were together for i think 
a year and a half, almost two years before we got married. I don't know. I'm terrible about that. Girls are supposed to remember all of those things and I'm terrible with it. (laughs) It's okay. We're not going to fact check you. We'll just, yeah, we'll get insurance on it. (laughs) At some point in this story, you go, this is the themes, movements, nursing, (laughs) stripping, nursing, back to nursing. And somehow in, in here, there's, there's some sort of faith journey that starts to unfold, right? Yeah. So you, you said earlier as a Catholic, it was more of like, I guess God exists, but I'm going through the motions. At some point, it's, I, I'm, I'm assuming that changes. When, when in, your, in your adult life did that start to change? So I really became aware of a need for something deeper and I don't know exactly when that was but it was just kind of this slow pull towards I needed something deeper in my life there was like something missing I've been through all this healing my marriage sucks my relationships suck there's something missing from me and I don't know what it is and so I was just kind of on that quest to figure out what in the heck am I missing in life Like I'm starting to heal and process through all my childhood traumas and it just wasn't working. So one day I'm driving on the freeway and I have no idea what happened. Something fell towards my car and I jerked the steering wheel, which is not a wise idea when you drive like I do. um, Cause I don't even know how fast I was going, but don't ever just jerk the steering wheel when you're going above 80, not a wise plan. So I'm spinning, I'm spinning out around the freeway, one side to another, cross lanes of traffic twice. I have no idea how we didn't die that morning. Um, And I, I pull over to the side and I'm just sitting there. And like, it was the craziest experience because I felt like I was just watching all of this happen. Like I wasn't Like I wasn't there. It was weird anyway. So after that, as I'm sitting there and I have to get the car out of park, it had gone into park and I had to turn the key back on. I just felt this, this voice, um, just kind of like, it's me. I'm what you're missing. And I, didn't know how to process that. I'm on my way to work. I just had this near-death experience. So I kind of just shut it out for a while. But it did put me on the path of seeking a church. I'm like, okay, well, maybe was it really like God talking to me? I don't know. Because um, he wasn't like, like, again, I grew up Catholic, right? You don't even talk to God yourself. You go talk to the dude behind the curtain and he talks to God for you. So I'm like, is God really like talking to me? Like, that's weird. So I start searching for a church and it just wasn't lining up and um, I'll skip over a bunch of mundane details. Um, And I end up at an Easter event with my kids that wanted to go see the Easter bunny. So they get their picture taken with the Easter bunny and this church is like, well, come back the next day for your pictures. And I'm like, Oh, great. What a scam this is going to be. Now I got to go to the church. Right now I got to go to your stinking church just for a picture. Cause my kids are crying. 
So I go in the next day was Sunday. I go in the next day with my kids for church and it wasn't terrible. <laughs> and <laughs> I know that seems shocking, right? It, it wasn't I terrible. Said, I mean, that's a low bar. Terrible. But I guess we'll take it. I mean, it was a Jesus Jeep though, which is not a great <laughs> idea from the church. <laughs> hey, here's Jesus your pictures. Jesus. You have to come back on Sunday when we talk about the resurrection of Christ <laughs> to get your pictures. That's kind of shady, but yeah. You know, at least it wasn't terrible, though. They, they did a decent job, apparently. Right. I mean, so. it worked for me, right? Because my kids loved it. They had a great time. They wanted to come back. Um, but I was sitting there, and I was sitting with this couple that had welcomed me in. They were super nice. They happened to be from, like, Illinois themselves. It's just weird. Anyway, so I'm sitting with them, and uh, Pastor Jeff Phyllis, it's Turning Leaf Church, um, he says uh, he was preaching about um, Ephesians for uh, get rid of the unwholesome talk, yada, yada, right? And it was just what I needed at that time because I was really going through some stuff on how to communicate well with people mm. as a methadone nurse. <laughs> 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 and uh, I don't know, I, I wanted to go back. So we go back the next week and we never really left. Um. About what what year was that ish? That was twenty eleven, no twenty twelve, early twenty twelve. Fast forward a couple of months, and my marriage was in shambles. Uh, my husband had been uh, struggling with a pornography addiction for our entire marriage, and I had gotten to the point that I was done and ready to walk away. Uh, and so I go to the altar and I'm like, yo, God, I can't do this anymore. Like, if you want me to be married, you got to fix something. And if you don't, then that's cool too. Let me know either way. I just, I can't do this, man. And uh, I remember just feeling such peace. And I really felt him telling me to pray the same scripture from the very first day that I was in church. Um and he said, pray this over your husband. And so I start praying the scripture and it really helped me learn how to be a more grace-filled wife towards my husband. Um, and so that was just the next step in growing closer to God, right? He started healing my marriage. He started doing work in Brendan, um, who was not a believer at all when we met. He was a total atheist, by the way. Um, yeah, sorry. This is where I start rambling about uh, things. Where was I going with that? Your marriage being prayed for at the altar and you were talking about, it sounded like getting a little more in depth with your relationship with God. Maybe I was expecting a pastoral call, but maybe I was wrong. No, not quite yet. Okay. Quite yet. Soon, very soon after that. Um, and I probably heard it several other times, but had just ignored it. Uh, that's how I roll. I tend to think Thanks. I know better than God. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, after, um, after things started improving in my marriage, um, I was at the altar again. I was at the altar a lot. Uh, and I, I heard these words, uh, women, porn, and pastor. 
That's the only thing he said to me. And I'm like, what in the heck is that supposed to mean? Like, I didn't even know you're t- like, what does that mean? Yeah, that's I'm pretty. I'm praying and praying and praying. I mean, right? Like, what does that even mean? It's kind of vague. So I just ignored the pastor part. And um, <laughs> I, just, I pray and I pray and I pray. And I found myself every time we drive past the strip club being led to just pray for these girls that are working there. Cause we live just down the street from one. So every time we would pass it, I would just feel this incredible urge to pray. And that's really when God started showing me um, a little bit more of what he had planned there specifically in that location. So you drive um, past the strip club and things start to cement. Yeah. And it just like, there's this gradual, I'm a slow learner with God. Like he has to download things very slowly with me. I think that's, I think a lot of us can say that. <laughs> I, I wish I would have figured things out sooner. So I just curious, this might be out of left field. <laughs> was, was there, was there some sort of, Oh, she was a stripper once that happened at that church. Cause I can only imagine what level of taboo that might bring about it. Once you're kind of opening up about who you are and where you've come from. So I was really great at hiding that part of my life still. I hadn't shared that with many people within the church. Um, And in fact, it wasn't until well into doing this ministry that I even told people at church that I had this experience. Wow. So you started a ministry, a ministry specifically (laughs) at a strip club. And I mean, I imagine maybe you got the occasional, why? <laughs> did people ask you sort of like what why the why that strip club where what led you there well yeah um that in itself was a whole journey um so i go to this conference and i find that there's this whole strip church network across the country that does this ministry um and it's really awesome and so that's where I really fell in love with this. And I, I knew 100% that that was what I was uh, meant to do next, right? So I come back, I'm all excited from this conference. And I'm like, Pastor Jeff, guess what? I finally figured out what those three words mean. I'm supposed to do strip club ministry and I'm going to start a ministry, blah, 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 you know? And I, if I could explain the look on his face, like, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, I, if you're listening, Pastor Jeff, you know that I love you. <laughs> What would, Byron, um, what would you have said if someone came up to you when you were still pastoral what, what's the face you would have tried to make honestly i would have been ecstatic because that's something i try to get people to like be passionate about like i told my first church when i was like 22 one of the first times i ever preached at that church i told them different people have different passions and we should find ways to equip them to do ministry and I told my congregation that I, I barely knew them. And I said, hey, if you have a passion for homelessness, like I do, then we should we should do something with homelessness. If you have a passion for pregnant teenage girls, then we should do a ministry about that. We should figure out how to help them and aid them and show them that God loves them. So I don't know if I would have been, I probably would have been excited. However, some of the pastors I've worked for <laughs> would have had a different reaction. <laughs> Because I think the first thing most pastors think of is, hey, we're going to start this ministry and we're going to go, even if you're going to meet people somewhere else, 
that tends to bring people in eventually. And maybe we don't want a bunch of strippers to show up on Sunday morning after being up all night making money selling their bodies. Oh. And I think a lot of pastors would be very uncomfortable with that. Especially Protestant evangelicals who really, really tell people sex is bad until you're married. And we really make it taboo. And any, even in the healthy sense, sex is bad in a lot of ways. So I, I don't know how that would go for... <laughs> A lot of the pastors I know, even the yeah. ones that are younger in my generation, I don't know. Like yeah. I've, I'm thinking of a couple people that I don't know how they would react, and they're our age. And you know, I just want to know what his first question or just his response immediately was. <laughs> like, what did he say? What was his question? It was like, okay, okay, well, that sounds great. Um, but I think it'll have to be like one of the missions in China that we support, but don't talk about on Sundays. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. I mean, did well, he at least he wants to support it, but the, the, hey, we don't talk about that makes me concerned. Um, but <laughs> at least he well, wasn't I like, mean, that's a bad all... idea. In all fairness, I did also ask if I could start an anti-pornography ministry at the same time. So, I mean, it was kind of a double whammy. Like, like, yo, there's a bunch of people in this church with porn problems and we need to address it. Like, so let's just do both of these things at the same time. So, yeah. <laughs> and you're just, you're, you're a lay person, right? You're an attender of this church, right? At that time, yes. <laughs> so I, I'm assuming you started it and whether he wanted it quiet or not was inconsequential to you. You were just going to get it going. Yeah. So I started a 501c3 nonprofit that was not affiliated with any church at all. It is uh, an independent faith-based nonprofit. Uh, and I created an affiliation with the church. Uh, so we did a ministry based out of the church uh, but there was no influence on the actual ministry as a separate entity. Um, so what does the ministry look like on the ground? What does it look like to minister to strippers? And what does anti-pornography ministry look like? And I will say uh, in their defense and if with their credit, we did start and had a very successful anti-porn ministry, by the way, in time. It just took some time. Uh, and they did get behind Jesus Loves Strippers, and they did get behind the ministry, and they do talk about it on Sundays now. So I feel that was a huge win. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's great. That's amazing. So ministry, what does ministry look like? Uh, it looks glittery. It looks glittery. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I almost had a glitter comment earlier, but I, I held my tongue. But that's great. <laughs> so... We go to the clubs about every four to six weeks, depending on how many gifts we have on hand and what our volunteer schedule is. I usually take two girls with me, sometimes one, but usually two. And we go into the clubs. Uh, most of them let us just go straight into the dressing room. Uh, that was a slow build that uh, takes time to gain their trust. Uh, but we get to go into the dressing room. We leave gifts for the girls. We're allowed to talk with them, pray with them, uh, ask them what kinds of needs they have, because it may not even be about Jesus that night, right? Like you may just need to know how you're going to get shoes for your kid or a backpack for your kid for school. 
Um, and so we offer them resources and connect them to lots of other things that they need, not just Jesus. So a general we support. General support. And of course, we have, um, your viewers won't be able to see it, but I'll show it to you. Uh, we have uh, Jesus Loves Trippers Bibles. Oh. And that is probably the best thing in the whole world. Um, I love handing this to a girl who has been told everything other than this her entire life. Yeah. Wow. Do you sell those on a website somewhere? Because I feel like I need to order that now. I do not, but I will get you one. Okay. I, I, so I have a question. So you have this ministry where you, you're reaching out, you're meeting physical needs or emotional needs. And then like I mean, what good ministry is, is you get to know people on a different level. And then at some point they either ask or you can say, hey, you know, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves me. This is my story. This is how God has used me and, and been a part of my life. Are your volunteers also people who have either struggled with body image? Like, you know, because you talked about when you were young being molested. Are your volunteers people who have a similar story? Like maybe they were strippers or they at least had some of the same struggles as you? Or are they, are they just people? Like, I'm just curious how you get people to be a part of this and what they're, how they look at it. They're just people. Uh, honestly, all women have body issues, right? So they, I mean, that's just a level you can always connect on with women. Um, but yeah, they're just people. They're One of our requirements is that you have to have some sort of faith belief. I don't care what denomination you are. Um, it did start with two girls that I happened to be at a Nazarene church with, um, but that's not why I picked them. They just happened to be my people in life. Um, and that is absolutely the best part, right? Building those relationships and getting to know the girls on a much deeper level besides what can I do for you? Um, we have one of our girls, uh, Isla Ray. Uh, she trans, um, she got out of the industry probably about three months after we met her and she went on to become a paralegal and yeah. never looked back. Um, she got back into relationship with God. She was a pastor's daughter. So what we were telling her was nothing new as far as God existing, but she had never been told that she was still loved where she was at. And for her, it was that moment, us coming in there, telling her that, that brought her back to where she needed to be with him. That's, that's, that's really cool. I mean, it doesn't ever make the strip club owners angry when things like that happen, does it? No, and this is a really terrible way to put it, but just like every other industry, if you have happy workers, like your profits are up, right? So you you so... are you're helping <laughs> helping with the happy worker thing, basically. That's how they see it. I mean, yeah, they they know that we're helping meet their needs. We bring them blessings in their bags. They have a cute little gift. They have snacks, energy shots, uh, earrings, something that just makes them happy. And so when they go back to work, their spirits are lifted. And is is there like a high good. turnover of of strippers and strip clubs? Is that is that like a normal thing? So they're coming and going, and maybe absolutely, so, yeah. So perhaps that's part of it. They just realize it's not like a lifelong career for most people, or something. Right, and we've the managers though the managers and the DJs are pretty consistent at each place, um, and we really work on building those relationships as well, uh, because that way they know if they have a girl in need they can reach out to us as well, 
Um, one of the things that we've uh, been able to implement over the last couple of years is taking in Narcan kits, uh, which is the uh, opiate overdose reversal injection. Um, and so we've been able to save some literal lives too, uh, not just souls, yeah. uh, which is really cool. So this awesome. is... This is still ongoing. This is present day. You're, you still have Jesus Love Strippers. And there's another thing. Um, what's in, it, Imperfectly Flawless is connected to this as well, right? Yeah. So Imperfectly Flawless is the name of the ministry, is the name of the strip club ministry. Gotcha. But the 501c3, is it, is it called Imperfectly Flawless or is it called Jesus Love Strippers? It's called Imperfectly Flawless. Got it. But Jesus Love Strippers is like the catchphrase. It's the the yes. mission statement so to speak that's pretty yes it's pretty great <laughs> somewhere yeah, in here swag too if anybody wants any swag i have tons of stickers and magnets and uh, i will yeah. freely give those away i'm all about swag especially if it's swag that's like a really great eyebrow raising conversation starter that i can put in my office that'd be great um where where did the pastoring start where did that i mean you're doing ministry you're in a sense it sounds to me like you're pastoring strippers you're I, this is like a double meaning. You're like a stripper pastor, right? Like you're, you're, right. you're actually bringing Jesus to these people. Uh, you have your history with it. When did the official, Hey, I, I feel like there's a calling. I'm going to pursue this officially. When did that take place? What did that look like? So, yeah, that was a long conversation with God. You know, I think he dragged me across the sand during that discussion on the beach. Um <laughs> It's a funny story. Oh man, my life is funny. God talks to me way differently uh, than other people, I think. And I think that's good, right? Like we all have our own relationship with him, but I think mine is just a little different. <laughs> so I'm standing at the beach and I'm looking out into the ocean and I just feel like, I don't know, I'm like, man, this ocean goes forever. I feel like this tiny little baby seahorse. They're like so tiny. Like, I feel like a baby seahorse just floating about in life. I don't know what I'm doing. What am I even here on earth for, Lord? I know I'm doing all these things, right? I'm doing strip club ministry. I'm working anti-porn. I'm, you know, leading several girls, mentoring. All of these things are great, but there was something else that I wasn't paying attention to. And he said to me, baby girl, you're like Dory. And I'm like, Dory, what? <laughs> And he says, you're here to help people get where they're going. That's why I need you to be a pastor. And I'm like, I don't want to do it. <laughs> I don't want to be a pastor. Like, because to me, that's like this huge, holy position of pastor, right? Like, and I, I don't measure up to that. That image of Sunday morning pastoring is not who I am at my core, right? And so that was all I could see as a pastor was my pastor, Pastor Jeff, standing on a stage every Sunday giving this great sermon. Um, and I knew that wasn't exactly me. Almost more than human and, in some sense, right? Right, right. And uh, I just remember having this back and forth with God. And, and I remember him finally telling me, when are you going to get out of my way? If I say you're good enough, why isn't that enough? Why are you doubting me? Because that's what I was struggling really with at the core was I'm not worthy. I'm not enough, right? All of the childhood traumas that put that no self-esteem and uh, 
all of those things that I was dealing with, I didn't feel worthy. I wasn't enough to be what he was calling me to be. So in essence, I was doubting everything he had to say about me. And that's kind of what he told me. And so I'm like, all right, let's give it a whirl. And uh, so that was interesting going to the church board and saying, hey, I feel called to ministry. Um, I know it sounds weird, but what do you think? At the time, I was under a lot of fire about um, my Facebook and social media posts. Um, <laughs> Why? Shocking, I know. <laughs> well, that I, I, I guess it could have something to do with stripping, but was it because of something else that we wouldn't expect? It, it's just, you know, political stuff that it shouldn't even. Yeah. Anyway. You have opinions. And Nothing you ever changes. Them. Got it. <laughs> yeah. Got it. Yes. And so that was really their main concern at the beginning was, are you going to be able to be uh, appropriate or whatever the words were, um, represent pastorally on social media? Yeah. Um, Pastoral. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's funny because that's a loaded thing to say when, (laughs) if you're not, I mean, if you have, if you're a pastor and you have opinions of one way, then they're fine. But if it's the other way, it seems to be terrible. Absolutely. Yeah. The loaded question, especially in evangelicalism, but whatever. <clears throat> that's not about that. We're talking about strippers and Jesus. Yeah, yeah that's not about <laughs> business. Strippers and Jesus. <laughs> yeah, the safe area. We can safely talk about that. So, yeah, uh, I started my journey, started my classes, uh, got my licenses, was going full force, going to be a pastor preached a few sermons. It's great. All is well in the Nazarene world. And um, yeah, then it wasn't. This is just a few years ago? (laughs) Yeah. And then it wasn't. But that's a recent thing, so. Oh, so you, did you get it? I mean, there's like levels, right? There's the local license that's just at the church. Did you get to the district level? Yes. So does that mean that they had to ask you questions about like, oh, you were a stripper? That's interesting. Did you get those questions by district district advisory people? You know, the only thing they ever asked me about was if I was divorced. That was all that really mattered. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. Uh-huh. I, and I do have a, my wife. So my oldest son, um, I had him before my husband and I got married, obviously. And he adopted him. So he has a different last name. He never changed his name. So his last name is still my maiden name. Uh, so that always triggers the divorce question. Not, sure. did you have a kid out of wedlock? Because yeah. that apparently doesn't matter. But were you divorced? Yeah, interesting. I mean, it does follow polity, I guess. If you, if you <laughs> know does, our polity, that's, that's very polity specific question they're going to ask. But I mean, was it, if they would have asked you about that stuff, I, was that going to be a thing you hid or was that just, yeah, let's talk about no, it. Let's talk about it. I think the first year doing local, I probably wouldn't have answered the questions. I probably would have tried to answer them in the um, acceptably, accept, oh, how do I want to say this in a nice way? Um, in the acceptably not quite dishonest but not full disclosure way that often you have to answer questions as a nazarene district licensed pastor without full ordination yet you mean you have to constantly sort of censor yourself which is sad that's how you have to think about it but 
Hashtag. I have it's like right. when I was a licensed pastor, I had nothing like that that would even be like questionable. But I still know what you're talking about, and she said that that's the you can't be honest because even if so, you had a, a child out of wedlock when you were 19 and you weren't even a Christian, or even if you were married at that point and got divorced and had a child, you weren't a Christian. So it's not like it's because you were divorced once doesn't yeah I don't know. So our polity drives me crazy of like, where are people really at? Are they called by God? Is this like, is this legitimate? And I mean, I think I've talked about it on the past, but I've always had a problem with most of our districts have a group of men, mostly literally men, deciding who can be a pastor or not. When I feel like God calls you to ministry, not them. And that's one of the reasons I walked from my district licensing when I, when I did. I didn't, I didn't surrender my credential because I didn't have one. I just said, I'm good. Bye. And walked away. And then but, it, it expires eventually. Yeah, mine expired. And then I've never pursued it since. So. And you would probably have to go through a whole like reconciliation thing to even get it back, basically. Yeah, well, I won't do that. So well, I, just, I just don't care. I, I don't think I think you can do awesome ministry and love people without a, a church boards or a, a district board telling you hey we think we agree that god has called you to do ministry i can love people on my own um and be a, a light in the world which sounds so. it sounds like maybe you two are akin uh, you you're still doing the nonprofit. you're still going to the strip clubs tiffany is that correct yep absolutely but, we celebrated our five-year anniversary by opening a new drop-in center so yeah a drop-in. What's a drop-in center? So we have a place uh, called the living room where girls can come in uh, and get whatever they need. We have access to things on site like clothing for job interviews. It's a whole big uh, program in the works that's just kind of starting. So that's a long discussion. Are you <laughs> still? Are you still working as a nurse too? Yeah. Oh my goodness! When do you sleep? Never. No, I'm just kidding. So I go to bed. I'm like an old lady. I go to bed at 830 at night and I get up at 330 and start my day. Oh, my goodness. That's very early. So you have the paid gig as a nurse. Are you is your nonprofit to the point where are you the executive director? I mean, what's your position in the nonprofit? Yeah, I, I think it's labeled as uh, founder and CEO. Uh, so I'm that I'll always be that. Uh, but no, we're not at a point to pay. And I don't know. I, I think that in the next five years, in the next three years, as we continue our growth plan and implement some of the uh, new things that we're working on, like the prostitution diversion program, uh, mm -hmm. at that point, I'll be able to pay somebody else to do a lot of my work, which is more important than me getting paid right now. Um, as so far as the tedious admin stuff, right? Like, yeah, admin stuff kills me. I, I feel yeah. That's I'm I'm in the nonprofit game as well because I'm kind of on the fence with pastoring. But I really want to know why you turned in your district license. Why you stopped the whole? Why why you stopped the thing? As much as you are willing to tell us, we want to know. So honestly, it was kind of a slow awakening and realization that I'm just I mean I could I could say a lot of stories that contributed along the way 
Um, there were a lot of main factors over the last two years that really started pushing me um, away. Uh, things like uh, the Black Lives Matters movement, things like racial justice, social justice. Um, and what the church, there is ch some church that, is not what talking church about is it. Doing. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, you can edit this part out. <laughs> really one of the big pushers was, you know, I asked uh, if I could lead a class on racial justice and reconciliation, something to talk about in the church, right? What can we do as a church to heal some wounds, to come together in an all white church with one black couple who's not comfortable. Um, and instead they had an MCSO officer take over and lead a class on um, racial equality that was not anywhere near where the Bible says anything. <laughs> like it was just uh. like nuts. Anyway, yeah, that that really just started pushing me to be like, what am I even doing here? Why am I continuing to battle against things that are not going to change? Um, and I know that sounds to me, I, that, that guilt comes in, that Catholic guilt still comes in on walking away from something that I feel like I've, I've pushed some boundaries within the church. I've opened some eyes or hearts um, towards other people that maybe they weren't looking at that way before. Um, and I had this very romanticized idealistic hope that maybe we could become anti-racist too and push some of those conversations and start loving everybody equally. Hmm. Um, and when I was just met over and over with resistance and watch what you're saying on Facebook and just all of the things. Um, really, I got questioned. Um, yeah. Oh, man. This district interview this year really was a doozy for me personally. Um, I was asked some questions about things that had been reported about me regarding my position on politics and who I voted for and my position on abortion. Um, and my position on interacting with the LGBTQ community. Ugh. And I am not, I came to this realization that I'm no longer willing to put aside what I know that God has told me the truth about to correctly answer some questions the way they want me to answer them to get ordained, to then have a right to say something about it without question or without fear of not getting approved the next year or whatever all that looks like. I realized that not only could I not lie to myself or be even vaguely dishonest with the districting, that at the end of the day, and after being asked like six times in the interview this year, I mean, being reminded six times in the interview this year that um, ordination is an invitation. It isn't um, just automatic when you do get there, by the way, just remember that. It occurred to me that not only did I want to not um, be, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? I could not be fully honest with myself 
And I couldn't stand at the end of the day if I made it to ordination. And in front of God say, hey, I'm 100% alignment with these things. I agree to them. I'm not going to do these certain things. I just, my heart couldn't align with everything that um, the Nazarenes believe in fully. And I couldn't. You tell them to read the manual because on all those (laughs) things, they're pretty much telling you to believe something that's wrong according to our polity. We believe Christ loved everybody and I'm tired of hearing that we don't. Well, he can love them. He can love them. They just can't have sex with each other. What are you talking about? God loves them as long as they abstain. Well, I don't care who has sex with you really, but that's not my business. But we still have to have ministries to reach those people because I I believe Matthew 25 is still a thing we believe in. But, you know, what do I know? I, I walked away from ministry officially too because similar, not exactly those same issues, but some some of them, you know, and just how we treat people. The whole, hey, it's an invitation, not a right thing. Okay, who invites me? You or God? Because I feel like God's called me to do this, so I'm going to do it either way. Whatever you say, I mean, we can have disagreements, that's fine, but to put political and other beliefs in front of ministry and who God has called to ministry is against scripture and should be, and is, and is against our polity in a lot of ways, but you know, whatever. I mean, just, just from a, well, I guess I'm a pastor still, so I'll, I'll, I'll call it a pastoral view. Um, just from a practical pastoral view, y'all, both of you have these unique ministerial uh, convictions, right? These people groups that are experiencing who Jesus is in a practical, just like, Hey, I'm being loved and cared about that. Should you completely sever all connection with the, the faith community that you are a part of? Should, should that, end like that church is not going to reach those people groups right like it's just not going to happen so i from it's it's not just that it's people who are constantly abused and belittled yeah. for things that are exactly. not circumstances they were in someone who was like 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 tiffany someone who was molested as a young child and had a, a warped view of sex and things happened and she got into a place where she needed some money and she made a lot more money stripping than she did being a nurse doing it something where it's helping people become better um the people i work with they're literally that's just who they are they're or sometimes circumstances so i work with people who have special needs who were in a car accident and had a major brain trauma it's not their fault but they are constantly abused and belittled and the church just goes oh well do they really matter and i want to slap them in the face of the bible and say jesus sure thinks they matter so should you but apparently jesus is also against violence so I got to well, you know, question myself on that one. That's why I prefaced it with like the pragmatics. Cause I, I'm trying to be, and this is like insensitive, almost intentionally. I'm trying to be like the insensitive pastor. If we're just talking about like pragmatically, we want more people in the pews on Sunday mornings. Y'all are reaching people groups that otherwise wouldn't be reached. Isn't that sort of like the, the mission statement end goal. And, and even, even on that super. Just say it. Just to clarify, if my people that I'm talking about had their butts in seats, they still don't count because they're not 100% mentally there. Yeah, I guess that's fair. If I bring in somebody who is the age of a child mentally, but they're 27, they don't yeah. count. They'll, they'll, well, they'll, they'll count them on their, on their counts. They'll say, oh, that person was here. But most Christians would say, well, they don't really matter because they can't make this decision for themselves because they're stupid. Mm. Well, that's and why that's I... the crap I deal with. And that's, that's... when I want to get violent. <laughs> and say they're not stupid 
they're in a, situ a special situation. Also, some of them are brilliant, just not in the way you think is normal or typical. And that doesn't mean that God loves them any less. And it's just, that's the kind of stuff, like, it's, it's, no one's blatantly told me that in the church, but their actions sure say that. We have multiple accounts of Jesus going to people who have lived in sexual sin. And he says, this person matters just as much as everybody else here. I will stop and I will look like the bad guy to religious people here. Yeah. And I will help that person. I will love that person. And we go, well, if they were a stripper or a prostitute at one point in their life, they're probably not a good person. Well, and I, I just want to go off because <laughs> that is so anti-Christ and so anti-scripture. And they don't even realize it. And these are supposed to be people who are ordained. They're supposed to have an education in theology. They're supposed to know how to love people. If and we and like like you said, Tiffany, we hold pastors like we have this idea that like pastors are these great people. They don't sin. They're that's all crap. Pastors are normal humans and they screw up constantly, just like the rest of us. And I had the same exact thought. I'm supposed to be a pastor. I'm not a good person all the time. I'm, I'm I screw up so much. I sin all the time. I can't be a pastor. Little do I know that, yes, I could, but also, do I want to? Because I don't know if I like being around a lot of pastors all the time. And this is what we fight against. Ministry is loving people like Christ loved them, which means who cares what the religious elites say about it? They can shove it. They don't matter because they, they're way off base. We need to knock it off. Strippers are important people to God. Who knows what got them there? Who cares? We're there to love them. And let's talk, I mean, not just that, but the enablers. Strippers have jobs. Why? Because people go watch them and pay them to take off their clothes. So they're just trying to feed their kids or themselves. Let's talk about the real sinners here. The people who literally hand them dollar bills to take off clothes. Sounds dangerous. That's the group of people we need to preach too. Now, however, dangerously if I like a sermon ministry... <laughs> If I start a ministry for men of like, hey, we go into strip clubs to teach men, that might be that, that wouldn't be taken the same way because you're a woman and you're there to help the women. And that's great. Nothing's wrong with that. I love it what you do. But like the enablers are the problem. If we really want to end something because it's so bad, then let's fix the problem, which is men, particularly men, line up for day and during the middle of the day, like they do it all times and they go pay women to take their clothes off. That is the problem. Let's fix the problem. Now, if I try to start that ministry, though, I would get shut down. Sorry, go ahead. I'm, I'm ranting. I need to stop. You're the guest. Sorry. You're fine. Which is a much bigger problem than just getting them to not go spend their money, right? Now you're talking yeah. about a huge, bigger socioeconomic problem and a huge systemic problem. And why are women getting paid more doing this than they are working a job anyway that they're educated for? or not, why are we not giving them opportunities to come up in the world? Um, uh, the majority of strippers that we have here in Phoenix, uh, most of them are minorities. Uh, almost, I would say they're, of the women that I meet, the majority are definitely minorities, um, which brings apart about the whole um, justice component, right? If, if we're looking at justice, why are we not equaling everything out for everybody it's not just about and gosh there's so much the the whole patriarchal system is at the end of the day the biggest 
um, component that needs to be tackled, but it's not going to be because, yeah, whatever. Men run the world. Uh, yeah. I could go on this tangent about what can we do to stop the adult entertainment industry from being so profitable mm. to begin well, with? Well, I, I, but a question about that, though, and maybe this is this is this is kind of chewing at me a little bit. You, these drop in centers sound a whole lot more like church to me than some of, you know, like the Sunday morning church. sanctuary I've been to in a long time. You're you're doing something about it, even if it's a small something. Right. Like, do you, I, I guess I'm wondering, do you feel like you're doing something about it, even though the, the problem is massive? Does it still feel like you're doing something? I do, because what's the old saying about I can't change the world for everyone, but I can change one person's world. And sure. if I can make an impact and meet, introduce somebody to Jesus or just meet their freaking needs, right? Yeah. Why do I have to tally up salvations? And that's a crappy thing for a pastor to say. I'm probably probably a great thing I turned in my credentials because I'd probably lose them over that. But it's not about <laughs> tallying up how many souls did I save? No, how many mouths did I feed? How many people did I... Um, put clothes on their back today how many bottles of water did i hand out to the homeless at the cooling center this summer how many how many humans did we make their day better who did i help have a smile today it's not just about racking up souls being saved for jesus well that's that's what gives me hope in this conversation we get for the record we get critiqued on only being cynical, Tiffany. So we're going to do our best to have some sort of like optimistic, hopeful, like <laughs> pat you on the back, feel good thing to wrap this up. But that uh, not, not sugar coating, not brown nosing at all. That's the actual hope thing that I have hearing, hearing from you is you're doing the actual work Jesus calls the church to do with, with or without a title. The church is simply people living out the mission that we were given by Jesus, right? That, that is, that's the church in a nutshell. It doesn't have to be a thing that's open 10 to 12 on a Sunday that has X amount of, like I heard someone refer to it as the three, two NAS punch. You got three songs, you got announcements, sermon, two songs, wrap it up with maybe communion and you know, you, you, you get it dialed, right? That, I mean, that's just the flavor of what church can be. I, I really am trying not to critique that too much, but that isn't the end all be all church is simple. It's when people gather with this expressed intent desire to continue to follow what Jesus has called us to follow as a lifestyle. And that gives me hope that you're just going to keep doing it with or without NAS credentials, right? Like that people will actually get to experience who this Jesus guy is experience what it is to be loved, cared about, to be intellectually engaged and not seen as just bodies uh, to, to be loved and cared for on like a real actual personal relational level, not transactionally. And I don't know, it gives me a lot of hope. So I hope you keep doing that. And I, I don't know, this, this is maybe the question I'll ask you to, to wrap this up. Well, hold on, uh, hold on just uh, one, one second. Oh, I want to ask a very practical question before we get into something a little deeper. How can someone who's listening to this say, I want to be a part of this ministry or I want to support them, whatever that might look like. How do they find your ministry? It'll be in the show notes, Jesus, but feel free to say it. Yeah. Jesuslovestrippers.org. Oh, such a great. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Jesuslovestrippers.org. We have a non-offensive one that I give to certain people, and it's imperfectlyflawless.org. But Jesuslovestrippers.org, that'll get you where you need to go. Facebook, That's... Imperfectly Flawless, or Tiffany Ann. 
So I, I guess my other quick question, I think this is a quick question. What do you, what would you say to people who want to start something that's different, want to start something that might not be, we'll say church friendly in some ways, I guess, like it doesn't look like church if approved. They, if they list their ministries in their bulletin, they're probably not going to put Jesus loves strippers. <laughs> how do you, how do you, how would you tell somebody, Hey, if you feel like God's calling you to do something, you just need to do it. It might, it won't be perfect. It'll, it, it has to build thing. It takes time, but like, what is your best advice for something simple like that of like, Hey, you just got to try, just got to do it. Just that. I mean, just do it. Don't be afraid of what somebody else is telling you as a human, listen to what God says, because he's ultimately the one that matters. Uh, if he's putting it on your heart, just try it. Don't get frustrated and give up because you will not be successful like immediately. It generally will take you a long time to not only um, solidify exactly what you want to do and how you want to do it, but to start reaching people um, and don't give up. That's it, man. Don't give up. Just keep going. Do what God wants you to do. Keep grinding. All right. <clears throat> Final question. It could be as deeply theological as you want or as practically simple dealer's choice uh if this is how churches operate moving forward if if i mean because i think there's kind of a church institutional crisis happening which i'm perfectly okay with because i feel like we can do so much better than we have been doing lately um it's if if the cooling room if the drop-in center if if jesus loves strippers is your vibe is your jam does that for you uh fulfill the calling you feel that god put on your heart to be a pastor to these people is that gonna is that gonna make you and god good like is that is the relationship good yes um i will add two things to that one i don't mean to sound like i'm just bashing the church the church was what i needed when i needed it and it was exactly where god wanted me to be at the time um, and I learned a lot going to a traditional church for a while. So yeah, maybe we should call it, maybe we should call right? it the traditional I don't think church. All terrible, right? Yeah. Traditional church is for some people, but I feel like it's a great place to start, but not to stay. Um, like when you're milk, when you're a baby and you drink milk, like I feel like that was my milk. And now being out in the ministry field doing urban ministry is where I'm supposed to be as a grown Christian, right? Yeah. Um, but to answer your question, um, yeah, I'm good with God. Um, and he actually is kind of stretching me a little bit further and we're going to go with a non-traditional, uh, likely non-denominational or even multiple denominations, um, gathering. I like that better than church gathering, uh, likely on a Saturday night, um, at the living room slash mission center and it will be called the well uh for many reasons uh, obviously i don't need to dig into the story but um it's a good story that's where god i mean that's where god revealed himself as the messiah for the first time in the bible and who did he reveal himself to this lady who's an outcast she's not accepted her story i think is misunderstood and mistold but we won't get into all of that um <laughs> Bottom line is Jesus was with the chick that he shouldn't have shouldn't have been with. If society was looking at it, he shouldn't have been sitting with her and hanging out, right? Or talking, period. Talking, period. 
And so the well will be um, our church, air quotes, church endeavor um, gathering for those who just want to hang out and be with Jesus. That sounds pretty cool to me. When is it? It's in Phoenix, though. It's a little far. It is. I don't know. Maybe we'll try the whole live streaming thing. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> so many, so many fun oh, headaches with live streaming right now in life. Well, Byron, if if you don't, do you have any other questions for Tiffany? Otherwise, I think we should probably wrap it up. I was just going to make a quick statement. You said that traditional church can be good for some people. Well, you also started this whole thing. Like one of our first things you said was that God can use a situation like you being molested at five for good. So God can use church, but I'm just going to blatantly say that church is broken in a lot of ways and we need to stop it. Not church in general. I just mean we need to stop being broken. We need to get over ourselves and love people the way Christ would. Um, and I think you're a good example of that to say, hey, you know what? We're not we're not doing this the way it probably needs to be done. And if you're going to have a problem with me calling out people who don't love people, if they're not acting like Christ, then maybe I shouldn't be a part of it. Um, part of an I'm, institution, but maybe still yeah. a part of the church. Well, no, that's insane. Like, I still think what you're doing is the church. Yeah. Just because you don't have a living room church of the Nazarene, that doesn't matter. You're still doing, you're still being Christ and loving people. And that's part, that's what the church is. It should be anyway. So thank you for being here. Um, keep doing what you're doing. I, I mean, I have a weird relationship with traditional churches myself. Um, I'm trying not to give up on it. You know, we'll see, but just keep loving people and keep telling people that Jesus loves strippers too. Jesus loves strippers. <laughs> Tiffany, thank you, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And thanks for asking questions that people don't usually ask and tackling tough topics and having fun with it. I have enjoyed this so much. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Hopefully it's not like a burden to our guests. Right, Byron? I don't know if we, we should ask that more often. Hey, was it really a bummer to talk to us about See, your life? A, that's a question we might not want the answer to, Josiah. Oh, well, apologize. Oh, spoiler alert. This, at the end of the season, the show's going to change. You'll probably hear about that. I don't know, later. We'll have to have know. some yeah, kind I'm of gonna, announcement or something official. I'll, I'll share something's that. Something's in the works. The, the format of the show as it currently is will be coming to an end just for the record so before that all that to say we'll we'll apologize for any guests that we're a real bummer to it's like i regret being on this podcast so we'll have to make sure and sneak that in there at some point barn that'll be an apology in the future well here, here's an apology for me i'm sorry i continue to get on my soapbox it's been months because i haven't been on the podcast but i, I tend to do that yeah you're backed up you had a I'm, lot i'm a little, little cynical a little frustrated right now just so if you hadn't noticed yeah, I noticed. It's okay. Um, that you, you add the the cynical. Well, we're both cynical now. You ruined me. But you add that flavor on purpose. So that was not my fault. Just for the record, <laughs> it's not. Uh, <laughs> but Tiffany, thanks again. Really appreciate your time to our listeners. Sorry that we continue to banter and say silly things, but we genuinely hope you enjoyed hearing about who Tiffany is and what God has done in her life and how she. She's being used by God to do some pretty incredible things. We hope you uh, enjoyed this podcast enough to maybe even review it, rate it, subscribe to it, share it with your friends. Um, and, and if you feel so inclined, you can send us some suggestions about what we're doing wrong. Or, hey, you could even like say, hey, you did a real good job with that. 
thumbs up yeah, emoji. If there's if there's anything positive, that would be great too. Not that not that we get bombarded with negative. We really don't. At least I haven't. No. I, but I mean, like if like if if it's hearing even. some of these stories has been a blessing to you and have been encouraging to you because it's encouraging to me. Um, let us know. That's great to hear too. Um, in our culture, a lot of times we hear the negative more than anything else. So it'd be nice to hear some positives. It's pretty balanced out, I'll say. Um, I'm the one that yeah, gets my It's not messages. too bad. I would but, have. Mostly good. But thank you to our listeners. This has been uh, the Millennial Pastor Podcast. We talked about some stuff regarding faith and how it intersected with culture. And I was your host, Josiah. I'm your co-host, Byron. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next time. Yeah. Sometime. I think, I think it'll be next time. All right. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>